Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 7, and hear the word of the Lord. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, Go out in front of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff which you struck the Nile, and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders and Israel. And he called the place Massa and Meribah, because the Israelites quarreled, and because they tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord, not among, or, is the Lord among us or not? This is the word of God for us, the people of God, and together we say, thanks be to God. These are unprecedented times. I mean, there's, there's no other way to describe it. That's the word that's just kept coming to me throughout all of this, especially this past week as things have moved so quickly through different cancellations and, and uh, even you know, schools are moving to online learning formats and there, there are so many different things going on so quickly, all because of this rapid spread of this virus. I mean, unprecedented is the only way I know how to describe it. It's been ages since the entire course of the world including our own personal worlds, have been disrupted, disrupted by something like this virus. I mean, if you think back over the history that maybe you've been alive, you know, even with world wars going on, things have not shut down to this magnitude. So in this time, we may feel lost, maybe anxious, stressed, uncertain, overwhelmed, afraid. We may have people in our lives that we are worried about, and it may seem like adjusting to this new, albeit temporary, way of life seems like more than we can handle. We may even be asking in the midst of all of this the same question the Israelites asked, is the Lord among us or not? Is the Lord among us or not? And if so, then how is all this happening? The Israelites were also in an unprecedented time, especially for their generations. If I can give you just a little bit of a brief history of what's been going on in their lives. So for hundreds of years, the Israelite people have been enslaved in Egypt. And Egypt is this great power, and they're using these Israelite slaves to continue to expand their great kingdom and, and all that they stand for. And in the midst of this, 
There, there arises this Hebrew boy who gets brought up in the palace of Pharaoh who ends up finding God in the wilderness. And God tells this boy, soon a man, Moses, to go back to Egypt and to set the Israelites free. And so Moses hesitantly does so, and there are all of these signs and miracles and plagues and weird things happening throughout Egypt until Pharaoh finally says, all right, fine, let them go. Just, just get out of here. I can't take it anymore. This is, just isn't worth it. And so the Israelites pack up all of their stuff, and led by Moses, they march on out of Egypt. And about the time they come to the what's noted as the Red Sea, although scholars now believe it's the Reed Sea, R-E-E-D Sea, as they come to that, they realize Pharaoh has decided to pursue them because they couldn't stand losing in this way. And so Moses you know, strikes, the, strikes the sea and it splits and they walk through it. And all of Pharaoh's, uh, the pursuers of Pharaoh are drowned in the sea and they make their way into the wilderness. And while in the wilderness they find that by day they are led by a pillar of cloud and by night a pillar of fire. And they're being led, according to Moses and to their own heritage, they're being led to this promised land, this place that was promised to Abraham and Abraham's descendants. And, and so that's where they're heading in the midst of all of this. But once they get out of Egypt, once they get out of the life they've known for so long, they begin finding that it's a lot harder than they were prepared for. They find themselves in unprecedented times in which their whole world is suddenly changed and they find themselves in the wilderness, a place they didn't feel like they could go on through any longer. Because in the wilderness, there's a lack of food. In the wilderness, there's a lack of water. In the wilderness, anything can happen. And boy, are we in a wilderness right now. I don't know if you've been to the store in the past couple of days, but it certainly seems like uh, people are buying up all of the food and water. It certainly seems like this is a time in which anything could happen. And in the midst of all of this, the Israelites wonder, is the Lord among us or not? Because if God really is among us, then surely God would prove that. Or at least the person who is leading us Moses, or whatever spiritual leader you might have in your life, surely they would prove God for us. Because all of this chaos that's going on, whether it be for the Israelites who were wandering in the wilderness and were just trying to figure out what this new life looked like when they didn't have anything but what they were able to carry, and they felt like they were going to die out there because where on earth could this promised land be? Or whether it be us, who are here in 2020, wondering what on earth is going to happen to us next. Where is all of this going? Where is all of the toilet paper going? All of this chaos that is just wrapping up around us. And we might be inclined to panic the same way that the Israelites did because there's so much uncertainty, the same way they experienced so much uncertainty. And so we might be just as inclined as the Israelites to ask God for a sign. Prove, God, that you're still with us. Prove that you are still among us. 
just show us, please, because it doesn't seem like this is the same realm that God reigns and rules over. But here's the thing. We cannot prove God. And that's something that's very difficult we're going to have to wrestle with. But we cannot prove God. We can only know God. In the midst of their wandering in the wilderness, the people of Israel ask once more for a sign that God is with them. Just once more, please, God, just give us one more sign. Please just let us know that you're actually there, that you're real in all of this. But you have to wonder, how many signs have they seen up to this point? Who can really say, but to just describe a few, there were the ten plagues that went on in Egypt while they were there, the plagues that eventually weakened Pharaoh enough that, so that he would let them go. After they get out of Egypt, which was a miracle in itself, they find themselves pressed up against a body of water. No way to cross because you can't build that many boats in that short amount of time. And by the power of God, Moses strikes the water and it splits and they walk through the water on dry land. Like that's pretty miraculous in itself. Not many people have gotten to do that. Unless you've been to an aquarium that has the little covering, but even there's, we've got a little explanation for that. And then on the other side, they find themselves being led by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. That would certainly convince me if there was a pillar of cloud that was leading us and we were just following this, like I envision like a tornado that we're just like, okay, this makes sense, we're going to go. And then when it gets dark outside, that tornado becomes a fire tornado, which is really dramatic, and we're just like, yes, okay, we're going to keep following this tornado because this is obviously from God. But even then, they get out into the wilderness, and they start to complain of thirst for the first time. Mind you, our passage is the second time they've complained about water. And it's water that's bitter, possibly poisoned. And so Moses, by the power of God, cleanses the water and turns it sweet, and they drink. And oh my gosh, of course, that's very obvious. Then they start complaining about their hunger, because they didn't bring enough provisions, because how were they supposed to know they needed to bring all of these provisions? And so there's a prayer to God, and God sends down manna from heaven, bread, that just shows up. It's just you walk out of your tent in the morning, and there's bread there and you can eat as much as you want. Don't store it up, just leave it there. It'll disappear, and the next day there will be plenty of bread there. And I'm thinking after just these few signs, you know, just, just a handful here is not much, but after just these few signs, they would at least be able to say, huh, you know what? I, I think God might be with us. I think, I, I, I think that these types of things are miraculous enough that surely that's, that's got to be God, right? That's, that's got to be God. But no, they ask for more of a sign. Please prove to us that you are with us. They ask Moses for this sign. And so Moses asks God what to do, and God tells him, go to this rock and hit it with your stick, because that makes sense. Hit this rock with your stick, and water will come out of it. 
And Moses does so. And it is another miracle in which, you know what, typically rocks don't carry a lot of water inside them. And now people have found underground streams that shoot out from midst of rocks. Maybe that's what he found. Maybe it was actually, I, I've always envisioned just like a large boulder, like about, like about this high. And Moses just kind of strikes that. Water starts flowing out. And that's not supposed to happen because it's a rock. And rocks don't carry water. But they have water. The people have water. And it helps for a little bit. But it's not even a few chapters away that the people end up making their own God to worship. Literally, I think it's two or three chapters away from what we've just read that the people finally end up on, at Mount Sinai, the place where Moses first met God, and Moses goes up to receive the Ten Commandments, and while doing so, the people are down there like, well, you know what? We kind of need a God to worship and a God to celebrate that's gotten us this far. And so they take all of their gold, the stuff that they've taken from Egypt, and they melt it down and they make this golden calf and start worshiping it. And you've got to think, like, how many signs do you need for proof before you start making your own God? But clearly this wasn't enough for them because the people always want proof. People like having proof. People like knowing, like having that comfort that, you know what, this is real. This is factual. You don't see a whole lot of people doubting gravity these days because, well, we have a lot of proof for gravity. If you, if you let go of something in midair, it's going to fall. That's, that's what happens. Gravity, we have plenty of proof for it. We don't have a lot of proof for God because people are always able to explain miracles or other signs or other things that God does in some other fashion. And no matter how many times we try to prove God, we realize it will never be enough. Maybe not even enough for ourselves as the Israelites find out. That's because we cannot prove God. We can only know God. And to take that a step further, God isn't looking for us to prove that God is real. God isn't looking for us to go out and show the world, look, obviously God is real because of this miracle, or because of this creation, or because of this. God doesn't need our help in proving that God is real, or that God is who God says God is. But on the other side of that is the knowing and that's the part that God does need from us. God desperately desires that we would seek to know this God the same way this God seeks to know us. And so knowing God, knowing God is far more important than proving God. The people's thirst in the wilderness is never satisfied until they draw near to God. That's what our Psalm 63 this morning was about, being satisfied in our thirst when we draw near to God. That's what the people of Israel begin to realize at different points in their life, although they are never really truly satisfied because they never really draw near to God in the way that God is seeking. But that is what God is looking for us. Because you see, in the midst of the wilderness, when we just are trying to keep going, 
because it's exhausting. When, when we don't know what's coming next, when we don't know what's on the other side of that hill, or we don't know if we can make it that far, we just need something to sustain us so we can keep going, because we wear out very quickly. The thing, though, that we need to realize is that the one who creates us is also the only one who can sustain us. Jesus even says, I've used this story pretty recently, uh, to the uh, woman of Samaria at the well. He says, anyone who drinks of this water again will be thirsty, but anyone who drinks from the living water, referring to himself, will never thirst again. As we draw near to God, we are satisfied and we can keep going. And so, um, many years ago, you know, seven, late 1700s, a guy named John Wesley, pretty cool guy, um, by some respects, other respects not so much. John Wesley ends up uh, being the, the progenitor. There's a big word for you. I don't know why that word came into my mind. Be is the one who started the Methodist movement. I apologize for using the word progenitor. That just doesn't seem necessary. Uh, John Wesley's the guy who starts out the, the, Wesleyan, the Methodist movement. We call it a Wesleyan movement. He, in a sermon, uh, talking, I believe it's uh, on, his sermon title is, On Those Who Are Born of God. In this sermon, he talks about this concept, which we call spiritual respiration. We're going to break that down for a second. Respiration, starting with that word. Respiration is the biological action of our breath, of our breathing. Our lungs respirate. We take in oxygen, and our lungs put that oxygen into our bloodstream to transfer it across the rest of our body so that our body can keep going. And then our bloodstream deposits uh, carbon dioxide into our lungs, and our lungs expel that out back to the earth. And then the earth then cleans, cleanses carbon dioxide and provides us with oxygen, and thus we have respiration. This cycle of taking in and giving out so that we can keep living. Breath is fundamental to human survival. We have to keep respirating. Now the spiritual side of that, Wesley takes on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, which we've talked about being the holy breath of God. And in spiritual respiration, Wesley says that if we want to be sustained by God, truly sustained, if we want to be nourished, if we want to draw near to God, then the best way is through spiritual respiration. We breathe in what God gives us, and then we breathe out to God, for God. And so this can be things like we breathe in, say, the word of God. We take that in. And then we breathe out praises to God in our worship. Um, whatever this might look like for you, it's us breathing in God and then breathing out to God. The spiritual respiration process that nourishes us. Because you see, Drawing near to God requires some activity on our part. It requires us to take in, to receive. Drawing near to God is a bit different than proving God. Knowing God is a bit different than proving God because you can't show anybody 
the air that comes out of your mouth, unless you have like a really cool um, camera to see that. But it's there. The same happens with our spiritual respiration. It's not, not something we can easily show, but it's there. And so we recognize that the one who creates us is the only one who can sustain us. And that drawing near to God to keep going, drawing near to God to be sustained, means that we find our sustenance during unprecedented times in God and not in ourselves. Because we are finite creatures. We grow weary very quickly. We need God to keep going. That's just the fundamental nature of it all. Even the Israelites and all of their ridiculousness recognized that if they were to keep going, then they needed God. They needed to know God was there. The only problem was they were looking for proof of God rather than looking to know God. And that's where I want to challenge us to be different. And so my challenging question for us today is, how might our faith look different? How might our faith look different if we stopped waiting on God to give us proof and started drawing near to God to truly know. One more time. How might our faith look different if we stopped waiting on God to give us proof and started drawing near to God to truly know? Because proof doesn't necessarily mean we know it. But to know means that it's something intimately ingrained within us. And so if you ask me, a good place to start practicing that new kind of faith is through one act of random kindness a day. God is and always has been with the people. That much we can gather from our text today. God is and always has been with the people. And so, if we want to draw near to God to keep going, to be sustained in unprecedented times, then we need to find God among the people. And that may seem like a horribly ironic statement considering all of these self-quarantines and isolations that are going on, but recognize that we can still be kind to one another. And so I encourage you, during this week, during this season, this era of COVID-19, find ways to be kind to others. Perhaps you recognize that as schools have closed, that there are many parents out there who can't afford childcare and also can't afford to give their child the meals that the school provides. And maybe you can. That'd be an easy place to start. An even easier place to start? Stop blaming people. It's very easy for us to blame other people in the midst of chaotic times and say it's that person's fault or it's that person's fault. But it doesn't help. What does help is going out of our way to do something that people need. Blame is not one of those things. And so I hope that we will draw near to God to keep going during this unprecedented time because it's only through God that we can keep going. We'll wear ourselves out otherwise. And if I might be so bold to say, there are many people around us who need this God to keep going, and they're looking to you 
to give them a little proof, but you have the opportunity to show what you know. Let us pray together this morning.